I'm about to kick off a new series, um, but before I do, next week we have a one-off special. Uh, we have our wonderful, very own Chris Birch Evans, who, well, there's a whoop there. Yeah, let's give him a whoop. Um, some of you know him. He and Kate and his kids are part of this church for many, many years, and Chris uh, does an amazing job leading STEP a wonderful organization that works in pretty much all of the, of the schools in the district. Uh, in fact, 15 of the 17 schools they work in uh, to really show kids there is another way to live their lives, to talk about the Christian experiences, and they work with connecting schools and churches. And, uh, you know, when Chris started at Step 22 years ago, they were in one school and here they are in pretty much all the schools. And so it's going to be a wonderful day next Sunday where Chris is going to talk a little bit about STEP and what that means for us as a church. We do support STEP. Um, but we are going to have as well a special collection for STEP. So I'd, just pr- I'd ask that you be prayerful about that as, as we do that and as we support the amazing work that STEP does in, uh, in our community. But as I said, we are starting a new series. Uh, hopefully you've been around the past few weeks as we've been in a series entitled Encounter. And uh, we've been looking at um, stories in the Gospels of, of people encountering Jesus. Wonderful stories of, the, of uh, Nathaniel, Jesus calling Nathaniel for under the fig tree, Zacchaeus, Mary and Martha. And if you uh, missed any of those, I'd encourage you, you can catch up online, the website, vineyardchurch.co.uk, or indeed our smartphone app. And as I ended things last week by looking at the story of Jesus when he called the first disciples, which was in Luke chapter 5. Some of you were, were there. And it was, so it's an amazing story because they've been fishing all night and they couldn't catch anything. And then Jesus comes along, does some teaching, then says, hey guys, what you need to do is go into the deep, put your nets down, you'll catch some fish. And they're like, say what? No, they didn't really say that, of course. They would have said that 2,000 years ago. But words to that effect, we've been, we've been fishing all night. And who are you? You're not a fisherman, but hey, if you say so. And what happens? We know the story. They get a net full of fish. And they're like, wow, this is impressive. Now, at this point, they could have said, thank you, Jesus. See you next Sunday. But what happened was, you see, Jesus said, now come and follow me. Drop your nets. And that's the thing that we've been looking at with all of these encounters is that they are all an invitation for more. You see, every time you encounter Jesus, it's an invitation to encounter him more. And I kind of looked at the model and the pattern that we unfortunately get into, which is the Sunday hit followed by the Monday dip. We catch our nets full of fish on Sunday, and then it's almost as if we say, thank you, Jesus, see you next Sunday. Now, we don't intentionally say that, of course, but if you only looked at our lives, we'd probably come to that conclusion pretty quickly. And I was saying about myself that I had kind of become this Sunday encounter junkie. You know, you just just live on that and then you kind of, you get through the week and you you kind of limp into Sunday, you encounter his presence, you get the hit, you go, thank you, Jesus, and you walk out of here. And and that was me. And actually, uh, about 12, 13 years ago, Stefan and I and the kids were living in Australia and uh, I was part of a worship team. And I remember so vividly, um, it was a mid-morning, Steph and I were walking, um, we went out for a walk around the block for whatever reason, and we were heading towards the house, and Steph said to me, my beautiful wife, said, you know what, darling, I really don't see you with the Lord during the week. I'm like, what? It's like, you know, do you remember this? And she says, yeah, I remember. You know, you say all this stuff, and you're part of the worst team, all this stuff, but I don't see you reading your Bible. You don't talk about God, you don't, and I'm like, now, 
I don't know if you've ever had that kind of conversation. But I'm like, oh, bristle, bristle. No, 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 I do. I, I just do it when you don't see. I, I whip out my phone and I spend a minute. I look at the verse of the day. That's sufficient, isn't it? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but you know, my wife was loving, loving enough to tell me some truth. Because I had become that Sunday encounter junkie. I, I just lived off the Sunday. I mean, it wasn't that I was in any deep sin. You know, it wasn't that I was a terrible person. It was just that when Jesus invited me for more, I said, well, Sunday's enough. And I suspect I'm not the only one. Because life is tough, isn't it? Life is hard. But I want us to know that whenever you encounter Jesus in here, it's an invitation to encounter him out there. You see, when you encounter Jesus on a Sunday, it's an invitation to encounter him on a Monday. And this is really where we're going with this next series entitled Encounter Going Deep. You see, where the previous weeks have been part one of Encounter, which is an invitation. We're going to look at what it means to actually go deep. And so over the next number of weeks, the team and I are going to unpack what this looks like. How can we as a people encounter Jesus daily? And I mentioned last week this phrase called spiritual disciplines. Or you can call them spiritual practices. Things that the church has done for thousands of years and it seems as if the past 30 to 40 years things are starting to drop off. But ways in which we position ourselves and we haven't deviated from the script from the start of last year around positioning. The way we position ourselves to encounter him daily. And I think inadvertently the, 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 the church in the West has overly emphasized the, the Sunday encounter and not taught on the daily encounter. And so these next few weeks are going to be a wonderful journey on equipping us all to be able to position ourselves to encounter Jesus. And uh, I want to unpack this a bit with, with one of the, the kind of key verses or two verses that we're going to use over the next few weeks. You see, when I, when I talked about Jesus' invitation, come and follow me, I said that it was occurred about 20 times in the Gospels. But you know, there is one of the most wonderful and telling invitations that Jesus gives that I want to talk about. Wonderful because it is such, so full of love and full of compassion. Absolutely no condemnation, no judgment. You know, when I realized that I had become a Sunday encounter junkie, Jesus didn't you know, hit me over the head. He welcomed me with open arms. But it's telling because it speaks the invitation to our need and the condition that we find ourselves in. Yes, here, right now, in the 21st century in St. Albans. And so where is this invitation? It's in Matthew uh, chapter 11, and it's uh, verses 28, 29. You can join with me if you wish in your Bibles. Uh, it'll be also on the, uh, on the screen. And I know that you have, some of you would have heard this invitation before. So let me read this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Anyone need that? Anyone find themselves weary and burdened? I suspect it's probably 99.99% of us. 
But as I set the scene for the next few weeks, what I really want to do is for us to fully understand why this is so appropriate for us today. And actually what we're going to see is that the very things that are causing us to be weary or burdened are actually the very things that we run to when we're weary. And this is what's happening. And what I want to do is, is strap yourselves in as we take flight. And I want to give, if you like, a 30,000 foot view of the culture that we find ourselves in because it is important to understand. You know, Jesus says that we should understand the signs and the times that we live in. And so what I want to do is paint this broad stroke picture of where we find ourselves because when we understand what is happening in this world, we will understand how we also follow it. You know, Dallas Willard, a a wonderful uh, theologian and philosopher, and in fact, in his later years was a vineyard pastor, He said that if you're not following Jesus, you're following someone else. You might not realize it, but the reality is we have been wired. We have been created to follow Jesus. We have been created to worship him. And if we're not following Jesus, we will follow someone else. I mean, hey, hasn't follow become the new thing? How many followers have you got? How many people are you following? And so what will we see in this 30,000 foot view? Well, the story that's been told by Western secular culture is that we are on a linear path towards utopia. Now, you might not hear it articulated in this way, but it is the undercurrent which fuels all the ideologies and patterns that we see in in the Western world. And this is really a post-Christian mindset. What do I mean by post-Christian? Well, you see, much of Western society as we know it today is really based on the teachings, the values, the kingdom principles of Jesus. The whole of the West has has been kind of built on that. And and this notion of a linear direction towards utopia isn't across the globe. Eastern, Eastern cultures have much more of a cyclical And so the the notion of this direction to utopia, of, of 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 a world of peace and of love and of social justice, is actually wanting the benefits of the kingdom that Jesus talked about, but without the king. You see, post Christian isn't, oh, we don't like anything about Christianity. It's, we'll take the stuff that is promised by his presence, but we don't want the king of it. And what happens, you see, and this is why it's so cunning, is that all of a sudden, it's no longer about his presence, it's about progress. It's about progress. And actually, progress itself becomes the religion. And it goes something like this. As we continue to cut ourselves off from the, quote, limitations of thinking about God, as we get smarter... As we have more technology to solve problems, as we accumulate more wealth, as we become better educated, as we become physically healthier and maybe cheat death, that's what transhumanism is about. As we accumulate more, as we become more free through the promise of individualism, as we encounter more sexual freedom, that somehow we will arrive at a perfect existence. This is the culture that we are in now. Kingdom without the king, progress instead of presence. But here's the thing, many social commentators are starting to point out that in the last five years or so, this secular story is having, and I quote, its moment 
of doubt. For while it's certainly true, isn't it, that if you think about the West, we are progressing technologically like never before, material accumulation like never before, and yet what we're starting to see are the cracks, that there is regression in so many areas. You don't need to be a social commentator to be able to see this with your own eyes. We're seeing the opposite of peace and of joy and of social justice, aren't we? You see, the issues of injustice, by the way, are larger than they have ever been before. Ever been before. Lack of compassion and understanding. Dangerous political ideologies of decades decades ago, on, on both extremes, are rearing their head again, aren't they? The impact that progress has had upon our environment, we're only starting to see. And rather than a utopian existence of peace, the so-called promise of progress, mental and emotional issues are at epidemic levels. You see, if you want the benefits of the kingdom without the king, you don't get it. And that's what we're starting to find out in a post-Christian world. And you know, many, many commentators will say that it's anywhere between 40 or 50 years ago that it started sliding. Some say maybe more than that. Because the world we find ourselves in has this promise of utopia, but they've forgotten that it cannot be without the presence of God. Let me give you an interesting stat. In the West, 39% are more anxious than they were two years ago. There is an acceleration, and it's been said that anxiety is the, the canary in the coal mine. It represents what's happening underneath. You see, the lie of the enemy that you can have a perfect present and future without God is showing itself to be a lie. I mean, let's go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. It started there. You see, the serpent said to Eve, you can be like God. You can know all this and have all this without God. It's the same lie. By the way, as an aside, you know, I know that in this day and age, we see what's happening out there and we almost want to hunker down as Christians, put up the protection walls. Well, we're afraid of, of the message. Can I just say that the message has never been brighter than it has been now? Because the Holy Spirit is shining the light on these cracks and people are hungry. The lie that secularism and the world can provide our peace and our love and our joy is showing itself to be false. Now is the time that we should be bold and courageous as we say there is another way because if you have the king, you can have the kingdom. It's not about progress, it's about his presence. Now is an amazing time to proclaim the gospel of peace because that is what the world needs, peace. Because they've only just gone and discovered that they can't manufacture it with progress. I, you know, I did a bit more research in this and there was an interesting article in Psychology Today, uh, in 2018, entitled, Why We Worry. And I want to read some of this, because I think it's fascinating. And then I'll, I'll kind of bring us down to land after we've seen this, and I'll answer the question, okay, Mark, that's great, but what's this got to do with us? So let me read this. Modern technology has provided some entirely new sources of anxiety for the present generations. These include 24-hour perpetual connectivity, the need to multitask across a range of different activities, and increasingly emotive news alerts and doomsday scenarios. Very soon, almost every appliance in our houses will be connected to the internet. 
fueling fears of identity theft, data hacking, phishing, grooming, and trolling. Even the bastion of modern day living, the computer, brings with it daily worrisome hassle that includes crashing hard drives, we've all been there, forgotten passwords, and the frustration of daily transactions that begin to seem strangely distant when all we'd like to do is speak to a real person. Riding on the back of our daily computer stresses is the perpetual connectivity provided by social media. Social media use is associated with social anxiety and loneliness. <laughs> and it can generate feelings of disconnectedness when we view what seems like the rich lives and social successes of others. A consequence of social media use is that people count their social success in terms of metrics such as the number of friends they have, not the number of genuine confidence they have. Confidants who would be true friends in times of difficulty and need. The promise of progress will give you peace. There was an article in The Guardian as well in March last year entitled The Anxiety Economy. Let me read this paragraph. AIDS for anxiety disorders in 2019 are branded like covetable scented candles. Scrolling through the products, one starts to think of it as a small but universal ill, like dry lips or shaving rash, and one just as easily treated, which, it could be argued, threatens to normalize this mental illness to recode it as a standard part of modern life. This is the culture, this is the world that we find ourselves in, a world that is burdened like never before, a world that is weary. And so as we land that, and I've given you that very broad picture of where we find ourselves, what on earth has that got to do with us, hey? What on earth has that got to do with this series on spiritual disciplines? Good question, I'm glad you asked me. <laughs> You see, the thing is, we may not consciously be signing up to the prevailing culture. We might not agree with the manifesto as I've just outlined it, nor even understand it. But here is the thing that I want us to understand. We are in danger of being colonized by it, by it without even knowing it. That if we were actually to take a step back, take a step back now, and if we were very honest with ourselves, are we partly being shaped by the pattern of this world? Have we found ourselves inadvertently caught up in the lie that all of this stuff will give us the peace and the joy and the love and all that stuff that we've been created to walk in? You know, Paul's instruction to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1. Do not conform... A lot of you know this, any longer to the pattern of this world. You know what, guys? This wasn't written to unbelievers. This was written to the church. And we can't read this and think, well, that doesn't apply to us because they didn't know what they were doing then. They didn't have progress. I think it's probably more applicable now than it ever has been. I got an amen. Preach it. You see, here's the crazy thing. We find ourselves caught up in this. And yet, instead of going to Jesus for rest of our weary souls and our burden, we go to the very thing that's causing it. 
And I'm going to reflect on my life as a Sunday encounter junkie. Because what I found was that in the need to feel connected and part of something, I would dive into social media to feel connected instead of diving into Jesus and fellowship. And all I found was it actually fueled it and made it worse, that I felt more discontent, disconnected, more anxious. How many people scroll through countless photos on Instagram? It's the UI, the, the, the interface is created in such a way that you're addicted to it. And I'm, I'm not bashing this stuff. Technology is wonderful. They're amazing tools, and I don't want to romanticize a life before technology. It was terrible. <laughs> but how many of us are now in bondage to it? I know you're feeling uncomfortable under the collar. Bless you, please don't. I've got some good news to come. You know, we consume more and more news and information because we want to feel that we're connected and we understand what's happening. And all, all that's happened is it's filled in our fears and dis- fears and biases. Did you know that most of the news that you consume is algorithmically pushed to you based on your, based on your fears? Did you know that? And do you know the type of emotive news is fed at particular times of the day because it knows when you're more susceptible to it? Did you know this? I mean, I used to work for a technology company, and you know what, what we had to do? We had to steal your time because we monetized your eyeballs. The more time we could get you on the internet, the more money we made. Don't think that the phone in your pocket is the product. You are the product. You are being sold. The more time you spend on your devices, on that wonderful ecosystems, the more time they can make revenue out of you and sell your time to advertisers. Now, I'm not making a critique on the business model. Well, I am indirectly. (laughs) All I'm saying is, is that we need to be aware of what's happening. Because the way these have been created is so that you are addicted to them and you go to them for what you need. But you see, it's the promise of progress without his presence. It's the promise of the kingdom without the king. And I tell you something, I have bought into part of this because the way I use my phone and technology and the way I binge on Netflix sometimes because I've got to drown out the cry of my soul for peace. I'm coming to the good news. And I suspect, bless you, I don't want to bash you over the head, I'm just trying to paint the picture of where we find ourselves in. We are all in this world. Let's be real about it. I mean, what I love about Jesus, he's so real. Have you heard the Sermon on the Mount? You know, read it this way. Listen, I know you guys lust. So don't look at women like that. That's what he's saying, isn't he? I know you guys hate each other, so don't murder. You've heard it said don't murder. Jesus is so real. Let's not come here and talk about everything's being rosy because it isn't. Let's talk about the amazing invitation. And that is where we find this invitation from Jesus. Something so radical, so counter-culture, to say that we can go to you, Jesus, to help save us from this wearisomeness and this burden. You mean I don't need to dive into social media? You know, if any of you, let me just give you some advice. Don't, the first thing you do, wake up. When you're in a vulnerable state, emotionally, you know, you're just waking up, get onto your phone, and the first thing you do is look at social media. Can I give you some advice? It's just not a healthy thing to do. When you need a hit, don't keep kicking the light button. Okay, there's been some scientific research, some research that shows the dopamine hit that you get when you watch for the likes and the like button. So much so that the man that invented it at Facebook has now set up a charity and is asking technology companies to set up a Hippocratic Oath for technology because of the danger it's doing. 
Did you know that a lot of Silicon Valley executives are now starting to pay big money to send their kids to schools that ban technology because they realize what it's doing? We've got to wake up. You know, we've got to wake up, guys, because Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And so we've got to say, well, there's got to be another way. Good news, there really is. You know, we all want peace. We all want love. We all want social justice. But we're not going to find that hit in the world. And let's use technology in a healthy way. It's a wonderful tool. But for some of us, the biggest issue of the day is addiction to technology. <clears throat> so with that, I want to read you this invitation again. And I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to read it from the message. Breathe in through your nose. Out through your mouth. <coughs> breathe in. Breathe out. This is Jesus' invitation. And this is the journey we're about to embark on. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. <laughs> Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Anybody want that? And you see, this is the thing about being in a Sunday encounter junkie and not walking with Jesus during the week. You see, we know Jesus as our savior, but do we know him as our teacher? You know, a rabbi, you didn't just learn the stuff. You learned to be like them. That's what it meant to be a rabbi and to be a follower. We're called to be disciples. We're called to become like Jesus. We've got so used to doing the stuff that we've forgotten about being like him. And you can only be like someone if you spend time with someone. And you see, this is what spiritual practices are all about. They're about how we position ourselves to be with Jesus, to walk like Jesus walked. And we find that as we do, the peace and the love and the joy and all of these things that we seek, we start walking in. That is the antidote to a crazy, busy schedule in life that we all have. It isn't binging out on other technology or whatever your, your fig tree of choice is. You're going to have to uh, listen to a talk a couple of weeks ago on that. And you know, over the past 2,000 years, Christians in many different denominations have been practicing these because they recognize that they need to abide in the vine, John 15. We need to abide in the vine and then the, gift, the, fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit will come. You know, um, we've got a couple of books that we're kind of basing this series on. Um, the first one is by John Mark Comer. Uh, he is a pastor and teacher in Portland, Oregon in the U.S., and this is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. How to stay emotionally healthy and spiritually alive, I want to be a spiritual alive, in the chaos of the modern world. 
You know, John Mark actually spoke at the National Leaders Conference in January. This isn't a message, by the way, that is something that is just stirring here. This is a message of our time, and actually, God is stirring so many people, not just within our movement, but abroad, around saying, I've got a better way for you guys. You've forgotten about going deep. You're doing the stuff, but you need to be like me. And uh, you can buy this at the bookstore. Penny uh, and the team have got this in the bookstore. You can buy that. But also another book that we're going to base this uh, series on is Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. That sounds a bit weird. Who wants to celebrate discipline? We've made it such a bad word, discipline. It's not. And uh, Richard Foster said this about spiritual disciplines. Disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. They are God's means of grace. They're God's means of grace. You know, Galatians 6, 8 says, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. You see, as you sow into the things of the spirit, as you position yourselves, we position ourselves for him. As we encounter Jesus daily, we reap the peace and the joy and all of these things that we so desperately need. And so here's some of the spiritual disciplines that we're gonna look at. They're gonna come up as a list. The first one is silence and solitude. You know, if we look at Jesus' life, he often would go away into the wilderness to be with the Father. You know, one of the things you could say about all of these is, well, if it's good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. Because it's in that place of silence and solitude that we hear his voice. But more than that, we hear our own voice. For some of us, we're running at such a fast pace, we suppress the cries of our soul. But if we allow them to come to the surface, Jesus can deal with it. The second one, Sabbath. We have lost the meaning of what it means to have a Sabbath, a day of rest. And yet, did you know it's one of the Ten Commandments? Well, you're probably all fine with not murdering, hands up. (laughs) What about the Sabbath? You know, the, the Ten Commandments are not here to beat you up. They're here to give you the best life that you can lead. And what does it mean about resting and delighting in him? Number three, prayer, contemplative prayer. What does it mean? It's not about going with a shopping list, but just being in his presence and communing with God. Uh, Prayer, intercessory prayer, standing in the gap. We're going to unpack what that looks like. What about celebration and thanksgiving? And we looked at that at the start of the year. I, I said intentionally we're going to be creating this rhythm of thanksgiving, stopping and enjoying, because it's when you're thankful what you've got, you enjoy the blessings. Instead of accumulate more and more, scripture, so meditation, reading a verse or a word and letting letting the Holy Spirit bring that alive. Fasting, hungering after God so much that you're willing to give stuff up and it's in the place of fasting that we see breakthrough. Simplicity, living a life unhurried and uncluttered so as to have space for him. And lastly, giving time, energy and money. You see, if you were to follow Jesus and become like Jesus, you would do these things. We would do these things. And if you want to get out of this rat race, if you want to take up Jesus' invitation, then this is the direction of travel. Here's the thing, you know the yoke? We all know that that wooden thing that you put on to pull something, actually it was a rabbinic idiom that actually meant the teachers, the rabbis teaching. Did you know that? So when a rabbi said, take up my yoke, he was saying, take up my teaching. You see, we've taken up the world's teaching on how to live a life, but it's proven itself to be wrong. Can I invite the band up? And so here in this moment, Jesus is saying, come, follow me. 
Take up my yoke because it's easy and in it you will find rest for your souls. You know, I've been really nervous about this morning because I'm like, Lord, got to help me. But I've been so excited because I think for so many of you, you've been crying out for this. All of a sudden, you've got some language to put around what you've been feeling in your spirit. So that's why I'm feeling this. So that's really the kind of invitation that Jesus offers. That amongst this, I can live a life of peace and joy and love. And lastly, I want to just, before we worship, I want to give you some things to remember about spiritual disciplines. Number one, don't turn them into law. You know, legalism will turn what is light into something what is heavy. These are designed to be life-giving. Number two, there is no power in themselves. They are means of his grace. And that's what happened with the Pharisees, you see. What they got wrong is they thought just by saying long prayers, just by fasting and looking like they were, woe is me, that that somehow is what it was about. No, it's not about the act. It's about positioning ourselves in such a way that the Holy Spirit can change us inside out. Number three, it's not an exhaustive list. There are many others we could have added here, but this is where we felt the breath of God on. Number four, it's not to escape the world, but rather going deep allows us to go out. You know, William Penn, the great Quaker, said this, true godliness does not turn men out of the world, but enables them to live better in it and excites their endeavors to mend it. I love that. Excites their endeavors to mend it. Because when we bear the fruit of the Spirit, as he works in us and through us, all of a sudden, we become his hands and feet. And lastly, I know I've got number five, practice versus perfection. Start where you're at. Start where you're at. And lastly, have fun with them and with God. You know, I do little things like every time I open the fridge, I have a prayer of thanksgiving. Every time I feel like I'm getting annoyed about someone in the the car, I go to the slow lane (laughs) and pray. How can you gamify it? What are those little things that excite you? Lord, we're going to go on a date tonight. Whatever it might be. These are designed to be fun. What does Jesus say? It's light. My burden is easy. And so what does it take? It takes a decision to say yes to Jesus' invitation. You know the biggest issue with spiritual disciplines is that you end up studying them and not doing them. Wow, that sounds amazing. You've got to make a decision. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a a German theologian and pastor and a Nazi dissident, said this, grace is free, but it doesn't come cheap. There is a cost, a dying to self, a picking up of our cross in order that we can find life. It's about thinking about our weeks intentionally as it talks about in the Proverbs and say, I'm going to make time for Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm not going to turn to another glass of wine. I'm not going to turn to another box set binging. Love you though. All of those things are in their right context, but that is not the thing that's going to sustain you and keep you. It's about saying, I'm going to make a choice to forego those things in order that I can position myself for his grace because it's in that place that he changes us from the inside out. I feel like I kind of want to say, so who's with me? <laughs> I've got a few hands. This is going to be a most amazing journey, and I, and, I, and I believe that lives are going to be transformed and changed. 
I said at the start of the year, this is going to be a year of encounter. And I didn't just mean this on Sunday. I meant this is a year of encounter in a new way through the week. Why don't we just stand as I pray and then we're going to worship. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we say yes to you. We say yes to you. Lord, we want to change from the inside out. We want to conform to the likeness of your Son. Lord, we want to walk in all that you have for us, Lord. You're willing us. You're wishing us. You're crying out for us to follow you. Because it's in you that we find peace and rest for what is our weary souls. And Lord, I thank you that it is an easy road. Yes, it costs us. Yes, we have to pick up our cross as you command us to. But it's in the dying to self that we will live in you. And Lord, I pray that with all of my heart for all of us here, that we would not, not one person in this building miss out that we would know what it means to walk with you, to follow you, and be like you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let us worship together. If the altar's where you need.